God damn it, Josh, he's a master of disguise. Radio Drone. Who is the Dark Man? I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Cecil who's on time this week. I'm back. The Peter who was here last week, but he might not be Dark Man. I don't know. You, you're kind of more Durantish. Why? I don't know. Just because. Can he, I be he... Jeff Fahey in the third movie? There you sure, go. There, there you go. I prefer so, that. He's he's not fat. We're going to be talking the Dark Man franchise tonight. But before that, if you guys want to help out the show, if you guys want to help out us, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. The Dark Man franchise is a weird franchise. Dark Man began in 1990 as Sam Raimi trying to make The Shadow because he loves the old Shadow, the radio shows and the comic strips. So well, his version of that would have been so much better too than the um who, the who ended got. up making The Shadow. Well, it was Alec Baldwin. It was Alec and, Baldwin, yeah. And Tim Curry. Well, Tim Curry was great. Russell Mulcahy actually great. directed the the other Mulcahy. show. It's not bad. Like, I think that it's fun. But I, mean, but I it, think, I think Raimi's Sam Raimi's vision of it could have been a lot better. Oh, yeah. Back then, you know, hungry Sam Raimi. So he wanted to make The Shadow, but there were rights issues. So he he actually, and I, I this is kind of ballsy, a year after Warner Brothers' Batman, he said, I want to make a Batman movie. He didn't want to make a Batman sequel. He wanted to make his own Batman movie. Obviously, he couldn't get the rights for that. So he just decided, you know what, screw it. I'll make my own pulp-style dark superhero. The Shadow essentially was the kind of the original Batman in a way. Sort of. The, the yeah. proto. Yeah. Well, so what happened was Raimi and his brother and Rob Tappert, and they wrote draft after draft after draft. Eventually, Universal was interested. But Universal wasn't satisfied with just having a vision. And I think this is where the problem of working for a major studio comes in. They had to bring in their own writers. There are five credited writers on the first Darkman movie. Over 17 drafts. And you can, as much as I do like Darkman, you can kind of tell there's studio fingers all over this movie. Well, it's also because it was originally meant to be Shadow, so that's just, that's writers from when they they were working on it when it was going to be a Shadow property. And you you can see those elements, too. You can tell, especially with how it gets way more action-y. So I'm sure that was probably a lot of the studio meddling where it was like, yeah. you know, we can't have this guy in the shadows. We have to have more, you know, action in this. And, you know, and they were pushing that really hard. It's so weird when something still ends up working, you know? It doesn't work completely. but Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, but it... it but it works like while you're the first, usually the first, the first viewing, it's like, that was good. And then really at, like, after you start thinking about it is when you start to notice, well, Hey, that didn't really make sense. Or maybe they should have done this a little bit differently. Well, there are a lot of 
cheats in this that I'm not sure if Sam Raimi was trying to, if he was trying to pull a, I'm trying to make a pulp style movie, it still doesn't work, or if it was just a cheat, like the, there, there's a shot that they repeat four times in the film where Darkman is jumping down on somebody. They literally use the exact same shot on a shot on a, on a blue screen with a different background four times. And I'm just thinking, hmm. is that lazy or is he trying to be like, it's like a pulp. If it's like a pulp, it still comes off as lazy though. You know? I do think he was going for that sort of serial aesthetic, but it also may have just been cheap too. Like they may have just run out of budget and they decided to reuse some shots. They couldn't get the, uh, the stunt man back that day to, mm. to do the, uh, to do the jump. And th- there are certain things about the first Darkman movie that the sequels at less than a tenth of the budget ironically get better. The special, the, the like green screen effects, they are really bad in the first movie. The first movie had a $16 million budget, which for 1990 was pretty big and it was the biggest budget Sam Raimi had ever worked with up to that point. I was shocked at how bad the blending of the backgrounds and the matte paintings and the blue screens. There are, there are shots that look like they are temporary shots in the final film. <laughs> like when he's hanging off the helicopter fighting with Durant and the buildings in the background, they literally look like they just rear projected something like airplane did during the driving sequences back in 1980. I kind of like that though about it. I feel like it adds to, to it sort of being like a pulpy serial kind of thing. Like I always felt like it complimented the movie i thought it felt cheap and unfinished no nah, it did I, I the like, only one i like cheap the only one that didn't work i thought was the very first one the explosion where his you know, body flies out get, his body yeah, flies out bad. That okay, that's pretty terrible. Really bad. But the other ones, like, they don't bother me as much. Like Peter said, it kind of, it, it kind of, uh, it, it feels right. It adds to, like, the vibe of the movie. You know, it doesn't, uh, it, it, we're in this sort of not real world, you mm-hmm. know, but that first one, I think, was just a bad effect. Well, but then there's also this weird thing with the first Dark Man. And now it is rated R, but it, it's one of the weakest R ratings I think I've ever seen. There is almost no blood in this movie. They're literally, remember? I think it's almost entirely for his, like, face. Like, his mangled face. Yeah, because, like... Because that's pretty gruesome. Like, that's actually pretty graphic, the way he looks. But in the beginning, yeah. when Durant is, like, cutting all people's fingers, there's no blood. And, hell, they don't even seem like they mind much. When he's cutting guy's fingers off at the beginning, the black guy, you know, looks like he's getting his toenails cut. I mean, they literally <laughs> cut his finger off, and he just kind of goes, ugh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I think that would hurt a little bit more than that. People get shot, they fall off buildings, they get thrown through walls, no blood. And I'm wondering, was that a, were they trying to maybe make this PG-13 and then it got an R anyway, kind of like the Frighteners situation? Or I think so. Cause, cause that's what more it feels like. Cause it feels like if Sam Raimi was gonna make an R-rated, dark, pulpy superhero movie, he would have made an R-rated movie. I, Absolutely. I think, I think he made I a think PG- it has everything to do mostly with, like the studios are weird when it comes to that stuff and the ratings board are very finicky with stuff like that, like, I'm sure it passed, uh, as far as the violence of the movie goes, it passed everything to be a PG-13 or PG movie. But then I think the ratings board saw the way he looked, like like the Darkman 
face makeup and stuff and how like mangled and gruesome he looked, they were like, no way, that's R. You you can't show that without this being an R movie. Because like you can see meat, his teeth, he's all like scarred up and burned looking. Like it's it's a gruesome effect. It's it, it makes it stand out and seem like more of a violent movie than it is just by the way he looks. So I think that's probably why it landed an R because they were like, you either don't show this or we make it an R. Which to me is the strange thing because I, I would think Sam would have known that because I think if he was going to make an R-rated movie, he would have made an R-rated movie. I think he made a PG-13 movie that is an R-rated movie. It's tough to say because back then, Raimi, he still had the R-rated mindset, but would he be trying to do it as PG-13 because the studio would, uh, you know, wanted a PG-13? So, because it does seem very, you know, bloodless, uh, which mm. it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Like, there's sometimes where it's like, all right, uh, well, like, um, the second Resident Evil movie, as much as I like it, your, your zombies are getting shot in the head and there's just like no blood. And it's yeah. like that kind of stands out. But in this, it's kind of corny and whatnot. And I, I don't think that, uh, you know, somebody getting their, their finger snipped by a cigar, uh, cigar cutter or whatever, w- you know, would really need blood to, to make it more effective. It's, it's still very gruesome to begin with. Somebody getting their fingers cut off. Peyton Westlake, Liam Neeson, is a scientist who has created a kind of artificial skin. But whenever light hits it, it starts to dissolve, and it will dissolve after 99 minutes. He cannot beat the 99-minute barrier. Evil man, Robert Durant, Larry Drake, who is secretly working for a corrupt land developer, kills Peyton Westlake, and then Peyton uses this super skin, which he never seems to run out of, by the way, and all of his computer software seems to be able to run off of basically nothing but whatever okay it's mad science it's pulpy you're skipping the thing where when he was quote-unquote killed in the explosion he had like a um, something happened to him he's in like pain override mode so like you can stab him you can shoot him and he doesn't feel pain it still Mm. does damage he just doesn't feel it Exactly. It still does damage. He just doesn't feel it. It gives him like super strength or something too, doesn't it? Like he has yeah, like because ultra he, uh, adrenaline uh, or something. Yeah, hi- hyper yeah, his adrenaline. adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, his adrenaline's always going mm. and, to try know, to compensate for the pain, and the, you know, it all it actually kind of works within the the confines of the film. Yeah, it's really cool. And then he's trying to get revenge on them while trying to get back together with his girlfriend, Frances McDormand, and which is an amazing scene when they're at the uh, carnival and he wins well, that like big pink elephant for him but he starts like freaking out he starts going into one of his like super pain adrenaline moons and it's just uh liam neeson only only someone like liam neeson could make a line like take it take the fucking elephant work <laughs> well and, and i know one of the things that okay i get the pulpy aspect one of the things i love about this is when he's impersonating somebody not only is he able to accurately impersonate their voice but he constantly changes body type and size as well like when he first imperson- <laughs> when he first impersonates the the main henchman that he frames for for betraying durant not only does he lose about a foot of height but he puts on like a hundred pounds and then all of a sudden is back to normal because putting on the mask does all that apparently well he could be doing what uh, john liguizamo did for clown you know it's fat suit and he's like squatting yeah Mm -hmm. because liam neeson is not a full head taller than the other actor he's squatting like john liguizamo as clown Right. Uh, that's what he's doing. That's, They're henchmen. Canonically, They're in notice. my mind, that's what he's doing. 
Uh-huh. Or, 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 or when he doubles Durant, he's got the same voice. He's even got the same body movements. It's like, uh, okay, how far are we going to stretch this premise? God damn it, Josh. He's a master of disguise. <laughs> That's what he does. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. All right, all right. Sam Raimi got along great with Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson does not reprise the role for the sequels. Sam Raimi did not get along with Frances McDormand. And you can kind of tell. I don't think her character was supposed to be as bitchy as it comes off in the film. He Mm. said he and Frances butted heads over everything. She saw the character one way, he saw the character as another, and Frances would not cooperate at all during filming. Her own character or his? Her, Her character. And you and can you can kind of tell differently. You, you you can tell her and Raimi were fighting while making oh, this no. movie. You can tell they oh, were not great. getting along. Why can't you just let the fucking director do their job? Bring ideas and bring notes and say, hey, this is how I think this should yeah. be. But at the end a of the day, between like being given creative freedom right from the very beginning and then assuming you have it. Right. Like, that can really ruin a film. Especially at the time, 19, what, what was the movie? 1990. 1990. Did anybody know who Francis McDormand was in 1989? Like, She'd done Coen Brothers movies. I mean, but she wasn't, you know, People a barely star. knew who Liam Neeson was at that time. That is true, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, co- you know, come to the director with notes and ideas and, hey, I think it should be like this. But at the end, you know, at the end of the day, it's the director's name on the line. So, you know, you, you are paid to do a job and you are there to do what the director says. You also have this thing that Bruce Campbell was the original choice for Peyton Westlake, as, you know, Sam Raimi tried to do in all of his early films, and Bruce never got the role. Bruce Campbell still has a cameo at the end as Westlake's final form, his final face. Oh, which is great. That's a great little little nod, little cameo. I always love that. That was meant to be something more. I'll, Mm. I'll sit, let's just leave that sitting here for now. I'll come back to this. After the movie, now Sam Raimi envisioned Darkman the entire time as a franchise. And that's what Universal bought. So he was always envisioning sequels. For some reason, Universal decided instead of sequels right away, they were going to try a TV series. So Mm. they made the unaired pilot that is online. It was, strangely enough, for Fox. Universal owned NBC at the time, so why they were trying to make this for the Fox network and not NBC is sort of weird, but whatever. They made a Darkman TV pilot that was not a TV pilot. It was what they called a test pilot. Only a half hour long, lots of stock, almost every action shot is stock footage from the first movie, and they recast Darkman, obviously. This time it was Christopher Bowen. Who so all of a sudden Darkman is British now. <laughs> Durant is alive again with absolutely no explanation. There is now Kathleen York as a cop who hates Durant who is teaming up with Darkman and they changed his origin. Now he didn't have a girlfriend. His wife was killed by Durant now, and that's why he hates Durant. The pilot is just not very good. At the end, he gets a precocious little black girl, a little black homeless girl as a sidekick. It's some weak sauce, and I can see why Fox passed on it. That's terrible. That sounds so bad. That sounds awful. Yeah, I've never, never watched that. 
Yeah, I never saw it's, it either. It's not very good. So now remember what I said about Bruce Campbell. Now the thing was, the reason that Bruce Campbell was the final incarnation of Peyton Westlake was the intention, because they they knew they were going to make sequels, was that Bruce would take over the role. Liam Neeson was very open. He didn't want to do the sequels. So Bruce was supposed to be Peyton Westlake for the sequels. But the problem was, by the time they made the sequels, 1993, when they started shooting them, Bruce was doing Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., ironically, over at Fox. So Bruce was unavailable. So that's where it was meant to go. And then from here, everything gets derailed. So in 1993, they they shoot two sequels back to back. And there are problems. For one thing, both sequels are shot by Bradford May. That He's not a bad director. The problem is Bradford May is a TV movie director. Seriously, he has over six, almost 60 TV movie credits to his name. And that becomes a problem on the sequels because they look like TV movies. They don't have any of Sam Raimi's style. They're just average looking. Arnold Vosloo now takes over as Peyton Westlake. And here's where I'm going to get into a lot of trouble. I actually like Arnold Vosloo better than Liam Neeson in this role. Well, Arnold, I, Arnold Vosloo is a very good actor. Arnold Vosloo Very underrated actor, it, I think. Yeah. I know, but I just, I think Arnold Vosloo does a better job. And I know how weird that is but to who's, sound. Who's going to give you shit for that, really? I mean, if you're... Listen, if you're sitting here listening to this show and you're getting all mad over Josh preferring Vosloo over Neeson, I mean, just go f*** yourself. I, I don't think that that's that, that big of an opinion. That's not really no. a controversial opinion. That's not saying, you know, oh, I prefer... You, if anything, I prefer- it's cool because you're giving a very underrated, talented actor more credit than they usually get. Yeah, like, he's hardly a, anyone ever talks about Arnold Vosloo, and they should. He's fantastic. I like he's Arnold Vosloo. He's a great character actor mm-hmm. who, like, a lot of people have seen him in stuff and they love him, but they don't really know. They don't really know much about him. They don't know he's that guy that you know. He's kind of a Dick Miller type guy. He just kind of shows up as really just good. Know him from like the Mummy. Yeah, they know him from the Mummy. You know, that's, that's pretty much it. But yeah, yeah, he's, he, like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I like Liam Neeson a lot, but I think that Arnold Vosloo brought something different to the role and was really legitimately good in it. Sur- like, he surpassed the material. Arnold Vosloo brought a strange humanity to it. Cause Liam Neeson's character was a broken man and he was o- almost borderline crazy. Whereas Vosloo's Peyton Westlake is like sad and, and and you know he's brooding and I actually like that better. But no, he, he, here's where all of the cluster f- of the sequels comes in. For one, they're in the wrong order. It was supposed to be Dark Man Three, Die Dark Man Die was shot as Dark Man Two, which actually makes a lot more sense when you think Dark Man Two: The Return of Durant. It was building up to Durant coming back as the big bad. Even the progression of the character, when you watch two and three back to back, it becomes very obvious three was meant to come before two, and that's Universal totally gimped that. But then the fact that they sat on these for three years. Remember, I said these were shot in 1993. They were released back-to-back in 1996. By the time the sequels came out, it was six years since the original, and people were going, why now? Why six years later? Not realizing it was actually shot three years later. I'm sure for a lot of people that were seeing these come out, too, they were like, what the hell is Darkman? Yeah. 
Darkman, that, that movie that, like, I didn't see back in 1990? <laughs> yeah. So Universal gimped this all straight off the bat. They gimped it in every way they could. The sequels are not bad. So we're actually going to look at them in the order that they came out. So Darkman 2, The Return of Durant would be next, but this is actually the third of the movies. This is, I think, the weakest of the three movies, leaving out the TV pilot. This is the weakest one. It just seems like so many half-baked ideas. Durant comes back from the dead, despite the fact that we clearly saw him explode pretty good in the first movie. Hardly any explanation other than a one-line, it took us forever to put his body back together and to heal. Okay, you need to give me more than that. But <laughs> but the, there are all these half-baked plot lines, like Kim Delaney's plot line of this investigative reporter who's working for a shitty tabloid, and she wants to do real reporting, and then she starts to uncover the truth of Durant, and then she's unexpectedly blown up, and then that plot line is never brought up again, and you're like, what? And the whole movie is like that. They introduce characters literally to kill them just to move Peyton Westlake's plot along. It just feels like, it feels like they shot the first draft of the script for Return of Durant, and I think, I didn't like this one. I thought this was my favorite of the sequels. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I was just happy because, uh, I didn't see Darkman in the theater. I saw it, uh, you know, years later on, on video. I thought, I was like, wow, this is, this is a great movie. Uh, this is really, it was, it was cool. It was different. It was unique. The, the late sequels came out and I saw them and, and I was sad that it wasn't Liam Neeson, but I liked, uh, that it was Arnold Vosloo. Now I didn't know who Arnold Vosloo was back then. I was like, oh, this is cool. We get two more Darkman movies because I don't even think, I think what happened was at the end of the movie they had a um they had a trailer either before or after on on the the VHS it was like you know coming you know it you know whatever date you know die dark man die and I'm like there's another one coming oh this is awesome two and three were were released a month apart so they were essentially released back to back yeah they were released back to back so that's what I'm saying it was like I saw it and then I was like oh you know in a month I'm gonna get another one this is awesome I thought it was uh, I thought it was really cool and uh, I I enjoyed the I enjoyed it really very much the the effects and everything weren't as good it didn't have um Sam Raimi's slick style uh his his first person stuff and but I, it still worked because it was more focused on the character of Darkman as opposed to like the action and all that stuff. So it was just really cool. I, I liked it. I liked, and I liked that Durant was back. I think he's a really good villain and I kind of was hoping we would have gotten more of that, but then we got Dark, Die, Darkman, Die, which I didn't like. <laughs> So we're kind of, we're kind of flip-flopped. One thing, this having come out first, again, I, it was meant to be the third one, but it was so weird because I, I recently watched all three movies back to back to back all in one night. Remember how I was talking about how the first movie is such a soft R rating that it was clearly shot as a PG-13? And, and, and that even goes to the swearing. There's hardly any swearing in the first movie either. In the first ten minutes of Return of Durant, they say f five times and there's more blood in the first 10 minutes of this movie than was in the entirety of the last movie was this sort of sort of a yeah we are so r-rated this time it was actually kind of a tonal whiplash a little bit you know oh yeah absolutely i i like that that was a welcome change it was nice to see it genuinely be r i liked it i i honestly like all three i i think uh the first one still stands as my favorite because 
It's it's one I used to watch a lot as a kid, and then I didn't discover that there was a two and three until a couple of years after that. And I like them. I really enjoy Arnold Vosloo as the character. I enjoy two. I enjoy three. I think they're both fine films. Overall, as a trilogy, I really enjoy it. And see, the problem I have with two, especially just as it is, is I don't like the whole, hey, Every movie, you're going to be fighting the same villain who's going to miraculously live. Because Sam Raimi had also promised Larry Drake, just, you know, in casual conversation, he was going to be the villain in all of the sequels. Mm. And I thought, that's just lame. Seriously, it's like Durant is going to get killed in each sequel and come back in the next one? What stakes are there if it's the same villain over and over and over and over again? I could see it being not that he's uh the villain in everyone. It's that he ends up being the the big bad. I could see him having like like kind of a um a kingpin sort of thing. He's yeah. the big bad and they have um ones where uh he he's sending his new henchman or his new right-hand man after Darkman and that ends up being the guy in the process of trying to take down Durant. He's taking down all of these different bad guys. So I could see maybe that is a little bit more. I can't see it just being Durant over and over and over again. Well, that seems the direction that they were going because Larry Drake was very much looking forward to being in all of the sequels. Well, again, he could be in all of the sequels as the Kingpin. It doesn't necessarily mean that that he was going to be the focus of each individual movie. Now, we obviously don't get numbers on because Universal released two and three direct-to-video, so we don't Mm. have any kind of numbers. I'm going to go out on a limb and say more people probably saw the sequels than the original. Because the original, mm. it made a lot of money. It had a $16 million budget, made $49 million, which for the time, you know, in 1990, that was not a bad take. There are so many people that I know who know the sequels more. They're like, wait, Liam Neeson was Darkman? I thought it was the mummy guy. And also <laughs> the fact that that because these were universal direct-to-video sequels, these played on cable constantly. I don't oh, remember. They did. The re- That's how I saw the movies to begin with. Yeah, two and three played on Sci-Fi Channel all the time. I don't remember the first one playing on Sci-Fi that often. I remember seeing two and three... Probably once every two to three months, sci-fi would mm. run these. This is just speculation on my part, but I think that the, the sequels did pretty good on home video. I think they did too, for sure, because I do remember a lot of play. They would get a lot on the uh, on the Space Channel over here. Same with the first one. Like I remember in the mid to late 90s, they were on TV a lot. Well, and then, like I said, this was meant as the third movie, so we'll go to the second movie, which is the third movie. Way to keep the continuity good. Darkman <laughs> 3, Die, Darkman Die. This time, he, there's no Durant, because in the continuity, he hasn't been resurrected yet. So they go to Peter Rooker, a crime boss played by Jeff Fahey, who does a fantastic job as a dual character in this, which, mm. you know, is weird because Peyton, we- you know, he plays when Peyton Westlake is is impersonating him, Jeff Fahey is playing a good guy version of his sleazy character. And here's another, this is another reason this one works so much better as the second movie. Dr. Bridget Thorne, Darlene Flugel's character in this movie, is the same character that 
helped him in the hospital in the first film, although hmm. played by a different actress in that movie. There are a lot more connections to the first movie, minus Durant, in this one. Hmm. And this one, I think it works better because his character is still trying to find himself. He's still unsure of everything that's that's going on in this movie. He, he really does get to play a, a, a dual role in this because Jeff Fahey is so sleazy when he impersonates him. Peyton Westlake as Jeff Fahey is a good person and he's trying to save, ironically enough, Rooker's marriage and mm. be and be a father to his kid, which really gives Jeff Fahey a lot of acting in this. And oh, Jeff yeah. Fahey kills it. Yeah, that's to me that's one of the standout parts of the third film too. I mean, I've always really liked Jeff Fahey as an actor and I've always wanted to wanted to see him in a lot more things. And this movie is a prime example of, of just seeing the kind of ability that he brings to the table as an actor because we not only see him as the sleazy version we see him as the better version of himself that gets impersonated by dark man i i really think the third one is is a nice like underrated sequel while i said my favorite is the first one i do very much like two and three both for very different reasons and i think three just as a, a tour de force from jeff fahey basically he's, he's fantastic in that movie mind you I have not had the opportunity to go back and rewatch them. I'm going off of memory. So, uh, I'm, I actually have them. Shout Factory released all three of them. Of course, well, they did one a while ago and then two and three they released back to back. They also released a box set. Oh, they well, did. Oh. I don't know if they did. I think Universal released a box set at one point too. So mm. I have them. I just haven't had a chance to rewatch them. So when I saw three, I didn't like it. But as I'm looking at things, Realizing how much I, I don't remember everything. Like I thought Renee O'Connor was in three, but she was actually in She's two. She's in two. Yeah. And I remember I did, I was very excited because I was, I liked uh, Xena Warrior Princess. And so I was like, Oh, Gabby's in, in, you know, in, in this. And so I, I, I need to go back and rewatch three. I just remember not liking it, but I think maybe I was cranky because, uh, we didn't have Larry Drake again. And, uh, I don't know. I would like to, to give it a, I mean, hell, I, I own it. So I need to, uh, give it another watch. Well, who needs Larry Drake when we got fucking Jeff Fahey? Jeff Fahey, although is another a... unrated or, or underrated guy. Like, Jeff Fahey in this one, he is sle- I mean, he's not sleazy like he was in Psycho 3, but he's just a, a brutal scumbag in this yeah. movie. One strange thing, just when I rewatched these about a month ago, Roxanne Dawson, I guess she wasn't Biggs yet, but Roxanne Dawson is his put upon, is Jeff Fahey's put upon wife in this, and I'm just so not used to seeing her actual hairline and forehead, because I'm so used to her from Star Trek Voyager as a Klingon. <laughs> so it was just so weird to be like, this Balana, but she just looks weird, you know? <laughs> She's not a Klingon. Is not as well remembered. I think because people like Cecil, they wanted the Durant thing, which, again, I was not a fan of. I was not a fan of the constant, let's have the same villain. I liked the fact that Darkman is taking on different villains. That's one of the reasons I think this one works so much better as a, as part two, because you're building to getting Durant back instead of yeah. just, hey, Durant's back again. That's why I don't know why Universal swapped these. Well, you could easily just watch them out of order. You could go one, three, two, and it would probably feel feel perfectly fine. But I'm just saying if people don't know that, if they're watching these for the first time, they're going to watch them one, two, three. But they work so much better in their intended order of one, three, two. Therefore, for the people listening to this that have not seen any of the Darkman films yet or have only seen the first one, go 132. 
because that's the intended order. Because when I was watching these last month, I, again, I hadn't seen the, you know, the sequels since, you know, 96 when they first came out. Right away, as soon as I started, maybe we're 10 minutes into three and I'm going, I think this was meant as the second movie. It just, <laughs> it, it just, it feels so out of place as the third movie. Mm. And, and I think that's Universal totally gimped this by, eh, put them out of order. Well, it's not. I mean, studios do that all the time, especially with TV shows. Stuff out of order. They did it with Serenity. They did it with Dark Angel. That Fox is notorious. They I think they it. probably just did did it because they were like, okay, we filmed these two. Maybe we should air the third one as the second one because there's more of a recognizable character. You know, we have Durant, so it's like maybe we should follow it up with that for the people that are watching it out of nostalgia for the first movie, so they get a little bit more of what they recognize since since they don't even have uh, Neeson. So it's like, well, geez, if we start it with Fahey and Voslu, there's like nothing left of the first film. So people might think it was cheap. So let's do the one where Durant is the villain first. I'm, I'm thinking that may have been the mindset. This might not have been as noticeable if you watch, if you watch these when they came out a month apart, but I watched them all on the same night. Remember how I said in the first movie they kept reusing the same shot of that jump mm. over and over? Yeah. Oh my god, do two and three reuse the same shots? Every time he's, he's steam, every time he's using the train through the subway, it's the exact same shot in both movies. Him breaking through the wall, exact same shot in both movies. Him getting blown up, same shot in both movies. Him, him, uh, killing, there's one guy he kills in both movies. It's, it's not meant to be the same character. It's the same shot probably i would say maybe 10 percent of of dark man 2 and 3 are the same footage just reused in both movies and i mm. think that owes to both the low budget and the shot back to back why reshoot a special effects sequence we just shot it again <sighs> just reuse it it comes across as really lazy to me honestly like i said when you watch them back to back you're like that's the exact same footage from the last movie was three the one where uh, he kept going, I trusted you, like over <laughs> yes. and over and over. That's yes. what you want to talk about reusing. It was just the same line loop, and I'm like, oh, stop. All right, we get it. Oh, and, and speaking of looping, <laughs> speaking of looping for a moment to go back to the first movie, Bruce Campbell is still technically Liam Neeson in the TV cut. He was the one who overdubbed the swearing for the TV cut because they couldn't get Liam Neeson back. So he's the dub voice actor in the Darkman TV cut is Bruce Campbell. Oh, that's hilarious. He he kind of doubled Liam Neeson besides that final shot. Mm, I never knew that. I never fault Sam for trying to help his uh, buddy out. You take these together, what kind of a franchise is this? Because while I like Arnold Vosloo as better as Peyton Westlake, two and three... They're, they're, they they clearly have maybe a tenth of the budget that the first movie had, and it shows. I like the stories better in 2 and 3, but I think 1 works better as a film. As a franchise, let's leave the Fox pilot out, because that technically doesn't count anyway. As a franchise, what do you think of Darkman? Really solid. 
I think um, a lot better than it ever had any right to be is something that was originally going to be a shadow property before that was trying to be a Batman property and then kind of became its own character. Because I know when I first saw the, the the first film way back in the day before I had I had even ever even heard of there there being a two and a three before I ever knew who Liam Neeson was or anything. I had seen seen Darkman either on TV or, or rented it randomly. I forget exactly what the context was. I was very intrigued by it. And I kind of considered it to be a very original character. He was kind of half scientist. He was half crime fighter. You know, half his face was messed up. He was this like master of disguise character. It's very interesting. And I, I actually felt like just even seeing the box art for the film, you know, is this a comic book? Is this based on something? And, and later on down the line, I had searched that up uh, when I had more access to the internet and came to find that it was just an original Sam Raimi property, that this was just a comic book style movie, not necessarily based on anything, which I thought was made it even cooler that it was like this original character, but done in the context of sort of a pulpy serial kind of comic book film without even really being based on a comic book. And not only that, but just hearkening back to the first film, it it really shows the the level of talent that Raimi has as a filmmaker. If if you give him a big budget or a bigger budget, he can he can still make something very good. He can still bring a lot of his his aesthetic to the table and, and create something really cool. And I feel like the second and third movie tie in really well, creates a very memorable franchise, even if the, the actors change a bit. I mean, that happens. I mean, look at the, all the Batman films, all the James Bond movies, Friday the 13th films. You know, it's not always the same guy playing Jason. It's not always the same guy playing Darkman. And I think Arnold Vosloo did just as good a job, if anything, maybe a little better than Liam Neeson. I just think overall, it's, it's a solid franchise that never really had any right to even be a good franchise. It's just, I think it's very much, um, random lightning in a bottle that was uh, meant to be something else and became something so much bigger. It's a lot like a lot like RoboCop in a way. It was meant to be Judge Dredd movie and became something entirely different, this dystopian robot cop film. And I think because of these changes and because of them having to improvise a little bit and play with other things, that it became more memorable than if it was just a shadow film. Like, if anything, I think it helped Darkman to be Darkman. I like this series. I think it's uh, interesting in the concept. And it is funny, like Peter said, how it was originally supposed to be one thing. It ended up being another thing, but it still ended up working and maybe ended up being better than it had any right to be. Uh, I was hanging out. I was over at a friend's house and we had the TV on and they just I remember just the shot of Darkman running towards the camera on the scaffolding. And then it just who is Darkman? And it was a very good ad campaign uh, mm. that that did not work. Because the movie didn't do particularly well theatrically. But I just remember, like, that caught my attention because I was like, all right, who is Darkman? Like, who is this that guy that I've never heard of? I'm like, that's kind of cool. And then I ended up not seeing it until years later. It's an interesting idea. It's it's fun. It's well done. Uh, aside from a few bad special effects here and there. And then the low budgetness of the, uh, the direct-to-video sequels. I think that they hold up a lot better than some other ones. There's been a lot of movies that start off as a big budget theatrical and then they go direct to video and the direct to video is always like a, a, a steep drop off. Whereas this, it's a drop off in, in quality as far as uh, special effects and money, but not as far as entertainment. I think that uh, it's still entertaining. And three, like I said, I remember not liking it, but I still remember being entertained by it. So I do want to go back and uh, and rewatch them. I just 
I, I've just been in a very busy place these past couple weeks. Well, and the way I look at it is I'm shocked this is a franchise at all. And I think the fact that they set on the sequels for three years tells me they didn't think this was going to be a franchise either. So I think no, the yeah, they definitely the- fumbled the ball with it. They should have released those a lot earlier and it only, it only hurt it to release it late because I mean, like we talked about, the first one didn't even do that well. So by the time you release those sequels years later, it's like, who the f- is dark man but but also why would you shoot these things clearly you greenlit to shoot two movies back to back and then you just sit on them for three years cold feet typical studio stupidity you know i'm looking into it dark man did open at number one yeah, yeah i said it, it made 49 million dollars against a 16 million dollar budget which it is not terrible it did well it universally made wanted million it to on uh you know worldwide uh i mean it kind of it but i mean yeah it did it did a lot better than i expected well universal wanted this to be their batman and this didn't do anywhere close to batman numbers so i think while it made a hefty profit to them it underperformed because because they were expecting michael keaton tim burton batman numbers and they didn't get even close to that yeah, to, to put it in perspective, they, they made, they made 48 million in the U.S. Home Alone made 476 million. <laughs> so, oh, no. so, well, I mean, so, or I'm sorry, they made 48 million worldwide. And then, yeah, Home Alone made four, you know, 480, almost half a billion dollars back in 1990. So I think, uh, they, they were hoping for a little bit more than that. There, there have been other Darkman spinoffs. There's been a Darkman video game, Darkman comic books. There's been a Darkman sequel in the comic books that ignores the two direct-to-video movies because it came mm-hmm. out in that in, in that interim three years when they those technically didn't exist. Weird spinoff media, and they've been, of course, they're talking about Darkman remake. There's all of these course. whispers around Universal. Maybe it's time for a remake. Maybe it's time to bring Darkman back. But of course they're not going to do a fourth Darkman movie. Of course it's got to be a remake and a complete reboot. Do you think Darkman could work in, say, 2019, 2020, the way it did in 1990? Or is this a kind of an... I think Darkman's kind of a 90s thing. I think if they're if they're going to do it, it should just be a sequel. Yeah, but you know they're not going to do that. You know they They won't. should. It would they be won't. the smarter decision. They won't. What what they're going to do is they're going to take the original script, make a few modifications and pretty much do a complete copy paste. It's going to be yeah. the same yeah. movie just with, you know, 2019 special effects or whatever, which is my biggest problem with most remakes. It's like don't do it if you're just going to do the exact same movie, like take things that work, take things that didn't work, like make it into something unique. Don't just mm-hmm. redo the thing again, because if that's the case, I'll just watch the original. Because what's the point of watching this if you're just going to do the same exact thing? Well, I mean, like I said, this is just a rumor right now that, you know, you're hearing about they're, they're trying to gauge whether a Darkman remake could work. There's no Darkman remake in the works. It's just there's the talk of is now the time? And I say, no, it isn't. If they do They'll it, though. Probably, yeah, but, but they, they thrive on bad ideas. If They do. If, it's true. But here's the thing. If they do a remake, I hope they give cameos to Bruce Campbell, Liam Neeson, and Arnold Vosloo. Remake it with Bruce Campbell as Peyton Westlake. 
Or have um have Darkman have disguises where he's Campbell, you know, Vosloo and Westblake. Because um, uh, at okay. some point in the movie, he becomes like them. Because okay, Liam Neeson is noticeably older than he was, you know, in 1990. So is Bruce Campbell. Arnold Vosloo looks almost exactly the same, though. Yeah, what the fuck is with that guy? He, he, Arnold Vosloo could almost still play the same the same Peyton Westlake. My God. Yeah, he he has drinking some of that not age juice. He he's got some of that Don Cheeto Keanu Reeves vampire blood or something. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Where yeah, they just he, don't age. Yeah, he does not look different. He's a I little mean, bit I mean, smaller Neeson, than he was were, in the movie. If they were to do a sequel, it's not like Neeson couldn't play an older dark man. But, I mean, if if they're going to go remake route, obviously, it's not going to be that case. And, th- and and who was to say he'd even want to come back to the role, you know? No, he didn't want to do the sequels in the first place. That's why it was supposed to be Bruce Campbell. But he's doing a lot Campbell. of movies where he just punches things in the face now. So he can come back and punch some people in the face as Dark Right. Movie. I mean, he does all why those not? revenge movies. This is a revenge yeah. movie, kind of. He's doing those movies where he's punching wolves in the face and punching airplanes in the face. Then he'll come back and punch some mobsters in the face. He just punched a train in the face. Just punched a train in the face. That's right. Do you think that Dark Man, let's say younger people in our audience or even some of the older people have never seen these. What do you think the critical assessment will be watching these again? Because I'm looking at it from my perspective, having not seen them since at least the 90s. So we're talking 20 plus years here and rewatching them. They very much evoke the 90s. I, I'm not so sure a 20 year old today is like, Dark Man, I'll check that out. Especially with the first movie with the relatively bad special effects. I think this would be one of those so bad it's good movies to modern audiences. I could see, I could see someone genuinely enjoying it. I mean, there are movies from like the 40s and the 50s that I love and I mean, I didn't, I wasn't born until 88. There's a lot of older movies that are my favorites, like genuinely. So it's, that's, that's a bit elitist to say that a 20-year-old couldn't genuinely enjoy Darkman. I'm sure they could, because Darkman was, Darkman was cheesy even for 1990, and it's still very genuinely enjoyable as a film. And also, it's not like a bad movie. Like, there are movies, that there's a lot to poke fun at, where really with Darkman, the tone is pretty serious. Concept is is pretty grim. I don't really think that there's a lot that you can goof on. So there's I, I don't see it falling into that trap of uh you know being a, a bad movie that you can poke fun at and laugh at and watch. I think that uh, if audiences were to uh, gravitate towards it today, I think that they would probably be surprised. They would enjoy um Liam Neeson being Liam Neeson, being a little bit more of a soft Liam Neeson when he's being Peyton Westlake and then being uh, he's a little crazier in some of his stuff. Right. But I mean, he's, you know, he's he's a little tougher when he when he's putting on the dark man persona. You know, Sam Raimi brings a lot of gravitas to it because of how much he's revered now as opposed to back then nobody really knew who he was so and then people would be excited to see the cam the uh bruce campbell cameo so i think audiences now that would be visiting it for the first time would really still enjoy it so with dark man where can people find cecil not remembering the third movie uh you can see me Watching the movie, although I, re- you know what I remember more? The Darkman NES game, because oh my god, that game is impossible. I, I never actually played, that one I never actually played, I just know it exists. It is, you, you cannot comprehend how hard that game is. 
Like it's it ridiculously hard. So so f- that game. <laughs> you can find me at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, uh, 1201beyond.com. Where can people find Peter? You can find me tracking down the Darkman NES game to see how terrible it is uh, for myself. Maybe it's on my uh, my modified my modified Xbox, which I bought from a flea market. It's got like seven thousand games on it. Uh, hush, hush, be quiet. It's legal. It totally is. Find me on Twitter at Cinematica, Facebook the Cinematicist, YouTube the Cinematicist, uh, on 1201beyond.com. There's my show, there's plenty of other quality shows, merchandise. Uh, you can find me also on Patreon at Cinematica, begging for, for money, climbing, climbing for dollars, um, avoiding dogs and whatnot, and, uh, probably going to rewatch the Dark Man trilogy again. You should do the same. Anybody that hasn't watched them again, watch it one, three, in two, as it was intended to be to be watched. And if you want, the unaired TV pilot is out there on YouTube. So You're feeling you can... masochistic enough, because God, that yeah. sounds terrible. That sounds it's like not so good. it's mostly just stock footage with some new stuff with some British guy playing Darkman. The, the one thing I'll say is I've always liked Kathleen York. So Kathleen York is always a positive side. If you like Kathleen York. Check out the pilot for Dark. Yes. And you, you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. We have a Patreon. If you guys want to check that out, just go to patreon.com. Good God, give us 1201 money. Beyond. Of God, if Noah Antweiler can get money for nothing to bitch about Canadians on Twitter, surely you can give me a buck a month. Leave I that can't in, beat please. that. I can't beat that. So keep one <laughs> foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Come from, oh, it's
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.